Welcome to the Association Advisor podcast. We're glad you've joined us for a conversation around best practices and leadership strategies for association professionals. I'm Kelly Clark. And I'm Katie Brown. Members join your association for the mission, but buy your value. Or do they buy your mission and stick around for the value? On this episode, our guests Dave Will and Tom Morrison explore the balance associations must strike between focusing on mission and providing member benefits. If Tom and Dave's names sound familiar, it might be because they host their own podcast called Association Strong. On that podcast, Tom and Dave offer insight from both a seasoned association executive and an entrepreneur perspective about topics that help associations drive value and engagement while running more efficiently. We're so glad they've joined us over here on the Association Advisor podcast to further explore what it means for associations to offer an engaging membership experience while also earning enough revenue to continue serving members. We cover a broad range within this topic, including how the pendulum of association business seems to swing between focusing on mission versus emphasizing member benefits. We address marketing strategies like conversational marketing and using FOMO or fear of missing out to get members more involved. And we break down Tom's framework for association business that he dubs alive, asking your members what they need and responding with value. You'll have to listen to the conversation to get the full explanation of what ALIVE stands for. This was a fun conversation, and I can't wait to dive in. But first, a message from Naylor Association Solutions, our sponsor. With Naylor, there's only one purpose we're committed to, improving your member engagement and increasing your non-dues revenue. Every decision we make is based on that guiding philosophy. And by partnering with Naylor, your association's mission becomes our mission. And our approach is simple. By working together, we create meaningful programs designed to build deep connections with your members that drive growth. With next generation technology tools, we can help your association with member communications and content, industry leading career center solutions, online learning, live and virtual association event management, full-service association management, association advertising and exhibit sales, and member management software. Naylor has helped generate more than $750 million for our association clients by constantly adapting to meet the needs of tomorrow. Our purpose is to fuel yours. Learn how by visiting Naylor.com. Tom Morrison is a seasoned 25-year association executive who believes in running an association like a business. Currently, he's the CEO of MTI Management. Since 2006, Tom has led his association to over 2,600% growth in net reserves with an average 96% retention rate and over 80% of their members engaged in one or more member value touchpoints. Tom's passion is helping associations drive value and engagement that allow them to reach their maximum potential for their members. While working for SAP, a multi-billion dollar software company nearly 20 years ago, Dave Will was advised to walk faster and smile less because perception is reality. He took this advice to heart and started a business based around the antithesis of this advice. It was 2001 when Dave started what became Peach, a learning platform software company that he eventually sold to AKKR, a private equity firm. Currently, Dave is the founder of PropFuel.com, 
a feedback automation platform designed to capture the voice of your stakeholders through feedback campaigns. Welcome, Tom and Dave, to the Association Advisor podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We're happy to be here. This is awesome. Thanks. Yeah, me too. Thank you. So our first question is, when it comes to generating non-dues revenue, as well as serving members of your association, how do you perceive that relationship? You know, what is what is the relationship between serving members' needs and raising revenue for association operations? Well, you know, Kelly, thank you and Katie for having us here today. Um, you know, on Collaborate, this discussion has been going on for a little bit of time now, and it's actually been going on for a number of years. I've had these discussions pop up on there over the course of the past five or six years. And, and what we, because we're slated as nonprofits, people have this idea that we can't be business savvy and actually put some effort into making profit and money and be very smart owners of, a, 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 um, of what we're responsible for, which is the reserves and how we spend that money. And I totally take a, a, different, a different approach on that. I think that we have to, as, as associations, we've come to a place where members don't, they don't buy your mission anymore. Way back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, members bought your mission. Now what they buy is your value. And it's through that value that you actually de determine non-dues revenue dollars. If value is connected to programs, people buy it. And if, and if your value is high in your dues revenue where you give stuff away for free that's highly valuable, then you get more members. So you're going to raise more money. But guess what it takes? Guess what programs and serving members cost? A lot of money. And COVID totally magnified weaknesses in associations' value propositions because guess what? When people couldn't hold face-to-face -face meetings because networking is the number one thing, the number one benefit that people will tell you, associations were losing huge because why? Once they took away the meetings, there was not a big value proposition there. And obviously, advocacy was another thing. Many associations struggled with advocacy because they, that's something that's typically done in person. So when you wipe those two things away, what was left? And what was left for a lot of associations were things that did not generate any money for them. And so... In 2005, our association went through a process where we went, we, I sat them down. I said, look, board, here's what we want you to do. Assume that people hate coming to meetings and assume that people hate writing their legislator. What's left for our members to say, I want to write dues checks to you. And there was very little on our plate. So we redesigned our entire value proposition. And now with at least our association, what I've looked at any association, that it, the members that don't come to meetings or write their legislator in our association have just as high, if not more of a value proposition than those that do if they take them away. So that's the, that's why revenues are so coordinated with, with value and, and serving the members because it takes money to serve members and it's not cheap these days. So, and, and after COVID, it wiped out a lot of people's reserves. I've had a lot of people say, Tom, what's the, what's the longest set? What, how long should we have reserving in there? Is it six months? Is it a year? I always say you can't have enough because COVID came along and has wiped out literally 70 to 80% of some associations reserves. So wow. to me, revenues are directly correlated to value and serving the members. Because if you serve them when they're highest pain points, it's going to turn into value. Value is going to turn into programs. It's going to turn into dollars that you spend. And just because we're selling a bunch of stuff and, and our reserves are going up like crazy, we're not going to spend that money frivolously so we don't look like we have money. We're saving it for a rainy day. 
Tom, this this is why I love bantering with you in these things. And, and this is actually probably why we started off. And if, if I could, Kelly, I'd like to plug this, our Association Strong uh, podcast, just associationstrong.com. If you like this podcast, I think you'll also like the Association Strong podcast. This is why I like bantering with you, because I don't usually agree with you. I don't think there's a problem with it. By the way, my position, generally speaking, for those people listening, is I tend to come at things from the entrepreneurial perspective. I'm I'm, I'm an entrepreneur in the space, and Tom comes at things from the uh, seasoned association exec uh, position. So here's where I'm going to challenge you, Tom. I don't think that people don't buy mission anymore. In fact, quite the contrary. I think from the perspective of the entrepreneur, uh, most businesses are embracing this idea of being a mission-driven business, a purpose-driven business. I mean, there's 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 investors that are totally totally focused on purpose-driven businesses. I mean, and and it's been proven that when when you incorporate purpose and mission into your business, that everything else thrives. You get more loyal employees, you get more loyal customers. The problem is the pendulum has swung, right? So so the pendulum is swung from this idea of focusing solely on the mission to now I, I hate it when I see organizations focusing so much on benefits. And, and if you can see the video, it's it's me swinging my hand in the other direction. But these, this idea of benefits is kind of like we're, we're selling a, a, a ticket to cheaper access to, to things. And 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 so I, I think the reason people aren't buying mission is because we're not wrapping it up the way it ought to be wrapped up. From a revenue perspective, revenue and, and driving revenue is really just a metric of value, right? So when we talk about revenue, the goal isn't necessarily just to drive revenue. The goal is to create value, and revenue is a metric of having created value. That's why I think this whole concept of businesses being greedy and getting in it only for profit and money and money, money, and that's it's just simply not true. Most businesses, I will argue, are in it to drive value, to create value in a marketplace. And the result of that is revenue, and it's a metric of how much value they've created. But I think the best value comes from having a strong mission and a strong set of products that meet the needs of the members. You know what I love. You know what I love about. Tell me, what do you love you? about me, us? Is you just said the same thing I said in a totally different way. Yeah, but mine, <laughs> mine was great. <right. laughs> I'm just, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. With you. <laughs> you know, I think what I was challenging this idea that that people don't buy mission anymore because I, I I completely disagree with that. I think mission is the thing that lies in at the core of who we are as organizations, whether you're for profit or non profit. I totally agree. I don't think everybody does not buy mission. I always say members support your mission, but they buy your value. I think there's a swing where many people, at the end of the day, when you're writing the check for the $2,000 in dues, or if you're a real estate agent and 150 bucks means a lot to you and you're writing that, about to write that check, I don't think they're looking at the mission statement at that moment. They're looking at what day to day, how do they help me maximize my success through the value they bring to me? Now, do they really love your mission? If your mission was off base, they probably wouldn't buy it, but what they buy at check writing time is the value you bring, which is a connection to the overall mission. But if all you have is a mission statement and that's what you say, I think I think it doesn't drive the the what the, a guy said in a meeting I was at. The moment of truth was the dues renewal shows up and they're about to write the check. What is the first thing they think about? They think about the value, but they love the mission. 
See, that's why I'm a big thing on associations. If you can come in it with strong value and people buy your association, you've got a whole year's worth of their money to convince them that your mission is really this awesome thing. As opposed to val- Value, though, is different for each individual. And this is something, Kelly, I'd love to get into in a, in a minute. But value is different at, for each individual. Most organizations understand the needs of the whole, but it's harder to get at the value of the individual. And, and uh, you know, a, a, here's an example. One of our new awesome clients that we just started working with at Propul said um, that when I asked him in our kickoff meeting, I said, so tell me, why is it that people join your association? And I love their answer. They said people join for the benefits, but they stick around because of the people which made it super clear to me that the goal is to convert people from joiners for the benefits and convert them over at least the first year. The first year is most likely to lose a member, by the way. So to convert them over the course of that first year to being fully invested in their relationships with other people. So that I have a strong position that the goal in year one is to get new members engaged with other people. I, I think you're right on the money there, though, Dave. I mean, I would say ours are the same way. I, we classify members in three different buckets. You've got information-only members that pay dues, and they just take what you give them for free. The newsletter, like we give three different benchmarking reports for free, so that creates high value in the dues. But you got information-only members. You have transactional members that actually they pay the association money for stuff. And then you got what you just led to, emotional members, which are members that volunteer or they come to meetings getting that emotional side connection, that heart connection. And so that's what we try and focus on. We have those broken down in specific engagement points so that we can figure out how do we get the information members to buy something and transactional and and get that first leg. And then from there, how do we move them into coming to a meeting, signing up for our leadership program, um, our live leadership, or volunteering in some capacity? So is the emotional the best? I mean, is your goal to get all those people up to like the peak, which is the emotional member? We have different messaging that moves people along. That's why that's why it's very important from a technology standpoint to be able to to put your people in buckets. So through like your program of PropFill, you can really dial down into we know that this message is going to people who are only information only members. And we want to say something that gets them to buy something because then they actually gave us more money, which takes to another level. And then we want to send different messaging to those people not coming to meetings or volunteerism so that all of a sudden they're thinking about getting to that next level. So our ultimate goal is to get them from information only all the way up to an emotional member who's attending meetings and getting that people connection. Because ours, ours is 100 percent just what you just said. And getting buy- to give you more money, that's not crude. I mean, it's not. And, uh, Kelly, I, I saw you laugh and I understand because he said it like give us more money. But the, again, remember, money is just a metric of the value you've created. So getting them to give you more money just means it's like it's it's kind of like uh, watching watching uh, the score go up in the game. I mean, it's just a result of getting a touchdown. Getting it's just another result of making another basket. Well, here, here I, I, I have a question for you guys. More yeah, we're not going to let Kelly talk much, are we, Tom? No. <laughs> well, you have. It's funny. You have been answering all of my. I start to have a question, and then one of you jumps in and answers it, and I'm like, oh, okay. But I do have a question JD. for both of you related to what you just said, which is you're talking about the idea of having members in different buckets or maybe different areas of the journey. Do you think that it doesn't matter what type of association you are, that those buckets are pretty much the same? Or do you think that it can vary? Meaning you got, you know, you talked about the emotional member and the transactional member. Do you think that that's a pretty 
decent blanket statement. And I ask that because we have listeners from all different industry types, but also all different levels of association. So national, international, all the way down to state volunteer run associations. Do you think that generally speaking, you can say that? Or do you think that associations need to kind of look at their own membership and decide what their quote unquote buckets look like? Well, for, for the time on that one. Yeah, for me, I've done strategic planning with probably 30, 40 uh, small to medium associations. And every single one that I go into, they, associations, when you study them, whether you're a society or a trade, they all have the same key three. They're either people either buying dues or buying association membership and not participating in anything. That's their information. Or people are buying dues and paying more for something. Or, and they're then taking the next level, which is going into an emotional member of actually meeting, getting involved in the people network. And I think you can make that blanket statement for all associations. And if people would just focus in on how many of our members only, because there's two, two members that you're susceptible to losing it all the time. Those that participate in nothing, because the number one thing that Marketing General has gotten their studies year in and year out that says that over 60 to 70% of members say that they that didn't renew their membership because they lacked engagement in the programs. So the free people are always susceptible. And then your largest member is always the one that's at risk of leaving because they're going to say, well, what are you doing for me that I can't do for myself? I got plenty of money. So you got to have value propositions to hit those. But I think, um, Katie, you can make that statement for um, for just about any association out there, because that's the three categories that every one of them have. But you don't want to send somebody that's, you know, that you don't want to send messaging, in my opinion, to someone that's, that's taking advantage of nothing. That message should be different from them to the people that actually are taking advantage or going to meetings. That, that's it. We have over 83% of our members are engaged in one of our 13 touch points, and that's extraordinarily high looking at studies. And I think it's because we really dissect down into different buckets to really have messaging that pull people in. I think that's smart. How did, how did you come up with that messaging? How do you know what to say to a member to, to get them to invest more in your association? Is this based on research that you've done over the years? Like, I mean, A-B testing at its most basic level? Yeah, or is how do this you know, Tom? How do you know what it is to say to a member? I'm going to answer that question, by the way. So, here, so here's, the, here's the cool thing. We had a speaker come in, and he told us it was on how to key messaging of how to sell and convert people. And he says most people really don't want to be left out. FOMO kicks in when you say things like, look, the vast majority of people like you in this association participate in blank. So we began to change our messaging like, you know, we tell people, look, over 80 percent of our members that are involved participate in at least one or more programs and you're involved in none. And we would really like to get you involved. So we try and we, we try and really maximize and leverage FOMO. If you're missing out because what people don't know, they don't know. They'll never take advantage of. But once they find out, wait a minute, 80 percent of your 50 percent of your members are involved in your benchmarking program. What am I missing out on that? That must be benefiting them. Yeah. So really trying, we truly try. The first thing we always try and do is gear the messaging. That what do we have to say that creates FOMO that's really truthful and valuable to the member? So that's, that's a tactic, right? That's you're using FOMO as a tactic, a tactic that you add a tactic onto the content. But what about the benchmarking? Like, how do you know the benchmarking is what they're interested in? Well, we know. Well, we don't know that the benchmarking is actually an interest when we when you're talking about a, a, a current or non-member. It doesn't matter. I mean, I was just using benchmarking as an example. But to me, when what you're describing is a cool tactic, like there's no well, doubt about it. But a, a tactic like that won't help you determine what what it is members need. 
we'll talk about it when we talk about the alive concept I have later, because all this boils back to is one thing. Associations need to do a really good job. Some of them need not even do it better than they are, but they have to have active questions that are the right questions and active listening, because I've seen so many associations. When I go and collaborate, I, I can tell by the way I'm seeing the conversation, they're trying to outguess what their members need. And my response always goes back to them and says, are you bothering to ask them, what is your biggest pain points? Because here's, here's the whole concept. Uh, one of our good friends, Dean West from Association Laboratories about eight years ago, was in, I was in an association uh, session at, uh, at uh, ASA Annual. And we're talking about this whole conversation. Dean stands up and says, you know what? Your members are spending thousands of dollars with consultants outside your association to solve problems that you could solve for them better, but you're too scared to go ask for the money. And that, that really hit a chord with me because associations, some of them don't know their members' internal business workings. They think that's for them to settle in their consultants. We, we try to look internally at our members saying they're spending thousands of dollars on different things that are pain points. Could we stick ourselves in there and find out what Dave's talking about individually, what their pain points are, and then meet those needs with different things? So I think that's a real key is active, is active listening. So everybody says ask and, and, and listen. And I've heard that for years. Like so, prior to this company, had a learning management system, and got this whole idea of asking has been around for a long, long time. And usually, the translation is, "Oh, we'll just send a survey." And a survey tells you <clears throat> what a like. Imagine a pie chart. It kind of tells you what it is the membership needs as a whole, right? It it, it tells you that 53% of your members believe this or want this or think this, and 22% think this. But and so you, I have no doubt most associations really, really do know what it is their members need, but they don't know what the individual member needs. They know what the membership needs, but they don't know what Tom needs or Kelly or Katie. They don't know what the individuals need because the only way they're going to know is by asking them and there's no mechanism to ask them. And that that's kind of the premise. Here's my plug for PropFuel. That's the premise behind PropFuel, though, is to be able to ask people at scale so that you can now target and address individual needs. But it's it's and that leads to the messaging. Too often we're just broadcasting. And we broadcast, I mean, think about the name Informs. I don't mean to cut Informs so publicly, but think about the name Informs, right? Informs is is one of the most popular broadcasting tools for associations. And there's reasons, there's good reasons at times to broadcast content, but that's all they're doing. They're informing people about stuff. It's just, they're, it's like a bulletin board, but they're just sending out this stuff through email. And, and uh, I think, unfortunately, when you're broadcasting like that, it comes down to a lot of guesswork, number one. Number two, you're talking to the masses. You're talking to a collection of 1,000 or 10,000 or, or 50,000 or more people all in one segment. You're, you're putting a persona together and then broadcasting that persona when actually what we need to be doing better is listening to the individual. And and the other thing I want to point out around that is oftentimes when we talk about this emotional, like I'm going to take us back for a second to your comment about creating emotional relationships with our members. How is it that we're going to create an emotional membership if we're sending emails from the organization name uh, or info at organization.com right. or even worse, do not reply at organization.com? I mean, how does that foster an emotional connection if there's no way for an individual to talk to an organization? Or So Amy Hempel at ASAE, 
She sends out emails asking members questions, and she puts her picture there, and she puts her name and her title. And she's like, hey, I'm Amy from ASAE, and I'm really curious. Can you tell me why did you join ASAE, or what's your number one goal this year? And she's actually listening, actually listening to each individual. And you can do that through technology. That's uh, We don't need to get into how that's done, but it, it's 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 um, – I think that's what's really lacking in this space. Well, I will, I will tell you, I'm not going to plug Prop Fuel, but here's the cool thing about when you talk about technology. No matter who has it, what I do love about what Dave's brought to the table with this technology the last year, we're, we're actually in it, is that Dave has been able to allow us to scale connecting with members individually, where if I, got, if I did a typical survey and I got back 100 responses, and 50 of them said, we like this, 40 of them said, we like this, and 30 said, we like this, it'd be impossible to really get to all of them in a reasonable time. What something like Dave's, this new technology does, is it allows the technology for us to scale and, and dictate when they answer a certain way to go directly to that information so that the technology is giving them that information, not us. And so they can immediately go to the information page when they, how they answer it. Because now you're, you're just asking, what's your biggest pain point? We just did this recently. What's your biggest pain point? When they click on their biggest pain point, it immediately takes them to the solution with all the information in a video. So it really helps us scale engagement and follow up. And a lot you can meet, you should reach tens of thousands of people like that and get to them with their meeting their needs pretty quickly. Think, think about new member onboarding. And then Kelly, I promise you can have the floor again. Think about new member onboarding though. Most of the time, think about this new member, and, and this is something I think everybody can associate with. A new member onboarding program usually looks like this. You sign up, the AMS sends some sort of receipt out. Hey, congratulations, here's your receipt, you're now a member. And then the first thing that goes out is like this laundry list of everything you can do. Reggie Henry at ASE calls it a dump truck. You know, they, they take this dump truck, they back it up and they dump it into the member's lap saying, welcome new member. And they dump all of this stuff in people's laps. Whereas the an organization that is taking what we call conversational engagement into, into account, what they're going to do is they're going to greet a member as if they were actually putting their hand out, introducing themselves, saying hello. And they'd say, what's, what's the first thing a doctor says to you, Tom, when you walk into a doctor's office? What does a doctor say to you? You look good. <laughs> 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 My doctor says, what's, what's going on? He, he, he says, how, how you feeling? How you feeling? Back to, yeah, how you feeling? Back, that's awesome, though. You do look good, Tom. <laughs> going, back to the, going back to the point, though, is new members. You know, you, if you had a new member come and greet you in person, you'd probably say something like, why did you join? Hey, welcome. So glad to have you. Why did you join? What brought you here? Right. But we don't do that. Instead, we see a new member like, oh, hey, hey, hey. And we throw everything at them with the hopes that there'll be something in that email of 50 links that might be, intri be intriguing to them. And then we do it again, like a week later, or even worse, a couple of days later. And then we do it again and again. And eventually we just train them to delete the emails. And they're just hoping that when they get to the end of the tunnel in a year to renew, that something's yeah. stuck. Yeah, we hope you found something you like. We don't know if you did, but we hope so here, you did. So here's, here's how we've approached this, which I think is why we have, we've been doing this for years. I've been speaking on this for, gosh, six years now, well before Prop Fuel. But, but we've been asking the wrong question of every everybody. that when you, when you go into a meeting or somebody's trying to sell you something, Dave, you've been in sales. What's the first thing you, someone might ask you? What how keeps, much is it? Well, no, what keeps you up at night? Oh. But most people ask the that. The better salesman will ask that. 
Well, no, well, they're better sales when I ask that. But here's the thing. When people answer that question, they're telling you what frustrates them about their business, but not what's wrong with the business. That's yes, consultative sales, right? So what I what I usually prefer people to do is, is to ask them to think about when you come in every day to your office. You have this laundry list of things that just are not good and perfect in your business. And there's friction, anxiety, and stress that exist in your business model every day when you come in. And I want you to talk to me about where does that exist in your in your business? And then all of a sudden, the owner or whoever you talk to is going to unveil all their pain points to you. And when you hear those pain points, you then, you know, want some of our members might say, you know what, Tom, there is so much uncertainty in the market. We buy million dollar pieces of equipment. And there's so much uncertainty. We don't know where our sales are going to be. Well, you know what? We have the industry's best accurate sales forecasting over the next three years. And you should be looking at that. So I think that's the questions we need to be asking is to understand what are their pain points? What what is literally are they frustrated with when they come into work because it, it's painful for them? It's causing them stress. And that's where you then get into where uh, programs could could be led into, which then leads to the value and the mission and revenues, which is what we're all kind of talking about here. How what's the what's the balance of revenues and membership at the global level? I am totally with you. Uh, right now, it's really hard for people to do that at the individual level. Like at the global level, picture that pie chart. What keeps you up at night? What keeps 23% of our membership up at night is this. It's getting to the individual that's really, really hard. Do you think getting to the individual has gotten any easier in the past year because of COVID? And the reason I ask this is because I feel like in some respects, associations and businesses and just people overall in some ways, I've gotten a lot better about communicating since we are not able to meet person to person, face to face, which sounds counterintuitive. But I do feel like people have become more cognizant of all the different ways there are available to communicate with others and are taking advantage of it. So do you think associations are getting better at not unloading dump trucks of information on members all at once? Are you seeing any associations examining how they're communicating with members and taking active steps to improve it, considering that in the past year we've all been forced to find more creative ways to communicate, to stay in touch with members, to keep them invested, and to keep them seeing the value that associations have to offer? Yeah, Kelly, I love your point that we've been forced to repot ourselves. That's a phrase I used to use a lot, but this idea of um, you know, a plant grows to a certain point and then it stops growing. You got to repot it. And, and every now and then you really need to repot yourself. You need to make yourself uncomfortable. And, and we've been quite it. uncomfortable for the past uh, year, given given what's happened in the space of COVID. I wouldn't wish it on anybody because it was an extremely difficult time for most associations. But um, but it did. There are some upsides to it. And that is it created a um a digitally hungry environment, right? So, so now we're looking for other ways to connect with organizations. Um, so, I have a two two thoughts to answer your question directly. I've been exposed quite a bit to organizations that are interested in trying to figure out how do we do it better. And but that's I'm wearing blinders. I'm no, let me phrase that. I'm wearing the goggles. You know, I've got this this worldview through Propule and, and who we're talking to and what we're seeing. The organizations that we're, we're working with, and and like it's it's taken off. Well, fortunately, you know, we doubled in size in the second half of 2020. And we're not a virtual learning company. It's just I think what's happening is this idea of connecting with your members digitally. It, people are embracing it, and and so yes, we're necessary. Seeing, yeah, we're seeing a huge uptick 
in in the interest in connecting at the individual level digitally. Um, unfortunately, it's I, I'm also seeing a lot of the same old broadcast behavior, and it's it, and and it's not producing very much difference. You know, here's an example, and and I hope this isn't this might be a little. Um, pluggish, but we actually went with an organization. We did old school versus conversational marketing. So we took this conversational marketing approach of asking questions and engaging and redirecting that way versus the broadcast emails. And the broadcast emails are really good, but but again, they weren't focused on the individual. And the conversational approach doubled the revenue. This is the revenue. I'm not just talking about clicks and stuff. It doubled the revenue that those campaigns brought in over a three-month period. It's pure A-B tests, split the market down the middle, and it doubled the success. So some people see the light, and they understand that we need to market differently, and other people are kind of stuck in this um, this idea of just doing it the same way. And I, I don't know how to to – we're doing it slowly, and that, but that's our mission is to try to help – reach the individual to create more relevant experiences. And so that's why we're doing it. And ultimately, Tom, to our earlier point, that drives revenue. What do you think, Tom? Well, here's the thing. Change change is hard. Change is difficult yeah. for a lot of people. Yeah. Changing to you changing to a platform, a new platform of any nature takes more money unless you're showing them how to replace it. So associations are kind of stuck in all those concepts. Yeah. Yeah. And they're just so over the over the the year of COVID, I saw so many associations saying, how do you communicate your value during a pandemic? And I'm like, you don't communicate your value. You do your value. And it's through doing it that people see it. And you don't have to tell about it a whole lot. You know, so you got to do your value. But I think, Dave, what you're getting to is having technology involved in the process as we're seeing it evolve. It allows you to scale the follow up process. So go back to Dave's uh, scenario of getting in all these email transactions, you know, the 30 percent want this, 40 percent want that. Then you have to have a strategy to go out and attack each of those big groups of people. Whereas what Dave's talking about is when an individual connects with you and says, hey, uncertainty in, in, in the future of sales is a big issue for us. And they choose that and they answer and boom, automatically they're forwarded to our sales forecasting program. We didn't have to get involved in the middle of that to get them the answer. And so a lot of our members could take advantage of that program without any human interaction. So it allows you to truly, doesn't matter if you've got 100,000 members, it allows you to scale um, your engagement process because you don't have to have a human to actually get them the answer. That's I think this is like any other this change in engagement down to the individuals like any other when they changed over to LMSs from Access when they changed over in, eventually it, it hits that people get it and they'll start running with it. They just got to in their mind convince themselves they need to pay for it. Yeah, but I, it, it was it's an education process. Yeah, Higher Logic, Andy Steggles and Rob Wanger, uh, they're friends, and uh, as they are with many people in this association and in this space. I was talking to Rob, gosh, I want to say like a year ago about this in particular, and, and I said, so Rob, how did you educate the space about the value of communities? Because at the time, they, they were coming into a market filled with listservs. And he's like, you know what? It's just a lot of conversations, a lot of education. And so that's kind of what we're at. We're we're doing this education that there's a better way to market than just broadcasting. And, and let's talk to the individual and ask questions. That's not new. This idea of asking questions is, isn't new. But the idea of listening at the individual is new. 
So let me talk, let me, let me mention real quick, Kelly and Katie, why you'd want to be involved in it, why it's so important to try and scale with technology, your engagement strategy, because it's about serving your member, having first class service to your member where you're listening to them and hearing them. What we are learning about the current um, labor force issues that we've got, we just had a guy speak to us on the labor front. For the next eight years, eight years, there's no more new employees. It doesn't matter what you hear about COVID, there's all these people unemployed. We're actually almost down. If you take the people out not looking for a job and not working, we're down to literally under 5% unemployment right now today. And it's only gonna get worse. So until all the millennials get into the workforce, Demographically, the association market is set to have the largest growth in our history in the next eight to 10, eight to 15 years in association, no matter what you're in, because of how demographics are going to grow population. But for the next eight years, because there's a lack of workers, associations aren't, you're going to have a challenge trying to find a director of membership and a membership engagement assistant even. So being able to scale engagement to offer first class service down to the individual technology-wise, is so important because you're not going to have people to be able to do it for the next eight years. Just the numbers are there to support all that. So that's the reason why to be looking and investing in technology can help you scale without human, without more humans, period. I mean, it's just not going to happen. That is fascinating. I, Tom, I want to jump back to something you alluded to a, a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you were talking about the acronym that you used to describe how associations- Alive. Will so you talk just about Alive, A-L-I-V-E, Alive. Yeah, so we've been doing this process for about 15 years, and I finally this past year came up with this concept where people could just realize, looking for something that people could remember. And I'm like, man, because I, I love acronyms, so I can remember it. But Alive is a very simple process that whenever you're looking at your membership at any level, you ask yourselves a few things what Alive stands for. Because I always talk, you want to bring your engagement with your members alive, right? So Alive stands for the following. So A stands for ask the right questions. If you're not asking your members the right questions, you're never going to get to the point of being able to have the valuable benefits and features that could help them. And that's what Dave's Prop View allows you to do. Ask those questions down to the individual. Then it's important that you're listening and listening intently to listening to the pain points because where the highest value in any association, carte blanche, is where the highest pain points reside with the member. If you can solve that, they're going to be a member forever. I stands for when, you, when you've asked and you've listened, then what do you need to do next? You need to innovate. Innovate with some solutions that allow you to meet those members' needs, whether group-wise or individually, in some kind of a program. And B, when you innovate, guess what you created? Value creation. You create value, and that value is then bought by the members. And once you have the value, innovation and value, you have engagement with excellence, and you engage the members. So it's just a, a nice train of thought that when you sit down with your association board or your engagement team or your membership, you say, guys, let's, let's think about this. Did we ask the members the right questions? Did we listen and get the pain points we needed? Do we have the resources to innovate, to create the value that allows us to engage the member so that we can you know, raise revenues and have the re- – because it goes back to what you said earlier, Kelly, in the very first part. Revenues help fund the programs, when, especially in times like this. So that's what's alive. That's what alive is. This a, a train of thought to help go for everything to run through that filter, so that you're hitting the highest pain points and getting the most value to drive revenues for the association, so they can do good things. My favorite part in all that is how you used carte blanche in a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> hey, every now and then, I, every now and then, my vocabulary expands. That definitely was an SAT word for sure. One thing that I wanted to ask about from way at the beginning of this conversation was you all mentioned that there seems to be a pendulum 
that swings between benefits and mission for associations. And right now it seems that the pendulum is swinging toward benefits. This is not carte blanche. This is this is really this is this is anecdotal, right? In terms of sure. people I talk to. But I hear it enough for me to believe that there's enough associations out there that are are emphasizing their discounts, their benefits, their, you know, the transactional stuff, which is the other side of the coin or the other side of the spectrum from from the mission. And so that's what I mean by that. My question is, do you think this pendulum will swing back toward mission with the advent of more millennials as well as members of Generation Z uh, entering the workforce? Awesome a lot question. of studies out there say I, that millennials and Gen Z are much more mission focused when it comes to their life's work than others. I mean, they still want a paycheck. We all still got to put food on the table. And that is certainly also not to say that older generations aren't mission focused. I truly believe that everyone wants to do meaningful, satisfying work. But again, millennials and Gen Z seem to be very mission driven. So do you see the pendulum swinging back toward mission in the next, I don't know, five or 10 years as more of the younger generations enter the workforce? Here's what I would say. I know I've seen a lot of associations that have an awesome mission and don't have anything worth the dues they, they put their, on their dues bill before them because they have no value past the mission. Our mission is to enhance the value and image of the heat treating industry. That sounds kind of big and grandiose, but that's no one ever writes a check for that. And we've actually switched that in our last strategic planning meeting. But the value, when someone says, Tom, why should I join? It's because we maximize your products. Or we, we maximize your profits and productivity and leverage your people. And they're like, man, that's how do you do that? Because that speaks painful. to them. Yeah. And, that, and now once they join... We've got a whole year on, on their dollar to talk to them about our mission. What do you, it's the altruistic thing that you're doing to help benefit the, the whole industry. But, a, but a, a company or a realtor or a doctor, day to day, they've got all these challenges of, of hiring people, making profits, being productive, all those things. So we narrowed it down. That's, a, that's our simple cookie cut. I always tell people, is your value proposition such that if someone, if your biggest prospect got on the elevator on floor one and he says, Dave, you got the floor 10. I got the check in my pocket. You got the floor 10 and tell me why I should be a member at this conference. <laughs> Can you say it in 10 floors to get someone to be a member? And we we worked hard to dial our, our value statement into that scenario. I, I think, agree with you, Tom. High five, man. I don't want anybody ever think that I don't think mission statements are, are going away or they're not right. It's just that's not the absolute reason at the check writing moment why people sign a check. They're going to sign it for the value, but they're going to be proud to be a part of it because of your mission. That's the difference. Yeah. This millennial agrees with you, Tom. <laughs> Love it. But, 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 but you have to be cognizant of, because of millennials and they're, they're um, being more focused on causes and being more cause-driven, your mission statement will be important what it does say because they're going to read that and it, it, it will have some influence. But, but value every, every day when people wake up, that's what they want to sign a check for. And also, you're not going to keep me as a millennial member if you don't live up to said mission, it's one mm -hmm. thing to write up the mission statement and tell me all the value you're bringing. But then if if there's no backing to said mission, no um, it's hard to hang on. Right. You know? So, Katie, how does an organization connect with you to find out if you actually believe they're standing up to the mission? Most and of next them don't. time on the Association Advisor podcast. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, most most of the most organizations 
they don't know what you think. Yeah. They know what you've done. They know your behaviors and your transactions, but they don't know what you think. Yeah. It's yeah. a major, major flaw in our data right now. And that's yeah. the movement that me and Dave are starting with our Association Strong podcast. It's all about changing the way associations think about the process of membership, the process of com- communicating, making it a two-way street in that communication. That's really our passion with what we're doing on our podcast, to open open associations' minds about revenue generation. I mean, there's nothing we're not talking about. We've got, we're bringing on phenomenal guests to help get some high-level stuff down to tactical so that they can really know, because COVID really damaged a lot of associations. Like I said earlier, it magnified what associations were not doing effectively. The site for your podcast, again, just in case anyone didn't catch it the first time, it's associationsstrong.podbean.com. You can just go to associationsstrong.com. Well, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. We really appreciate it. As we wrap up, I want to pose one more question and just a couple sentences, if you can answer it. What do you all like best about your jobs? I'll I'll answer that real quick, Tom. For me, it's it's the innovation of entrepreneurship. It's creating value. It's and I mean that sincerely. To me, it's a game. It almost turns into a game where, and again, value is measured. The metric that measures value is revenue. So uh, that might sound a little capitalistic, but it's driven by value, and that's what I enjoy. Is is are we creating value in the market? Tom, what about you? So mine is my entire life's been around human impact. I love seeing people reach their potential and being an association CEO at the top of the chain doing what we do gives me that stage to just really see people um, find life, find purpose and find a quality of life that they love. And everything I do circles around human impact. Oh, I like that, Tom. Love that. Yeah. Love it. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thank y'all for the invite. This has been awesome. Yeah, really fun. Thank you, guys. There was so much for association professionals to learn from that conversation, but a couple of things stood out to me the most. First, that there seems to be a pendulum swinging between an emphasis on mission-driven work and an emphasis on member benefits. Right now, Tom says that pendulum is closer to member benefits. Members join for the mission, but stay for the benefits. We heard that a few times. I think he's right that at dues paying time, members are going to ask, what am I getting for my money? So associations do need to cater to that question and provide tangible benefits worth joining for. The second thing that stood out was their mention of having an association value elevator speech ready to use. That's such practical advice that all association leaders should be well-versed in. I completely agree. We should all be able to summarize why our organizations are worth joining or worth working alongside within the space of a few sentences. And we need to make sure that our elevator speeches end with a subtle call to action, such as, we help professionals like you reach the next level in your career. Because that's the kind of member fit that most people are looking for. And that's definitely the kind of association that I would want to join. All right. Well, then how about in the spirit of Tom and Dave's elevator value proposition challenge? Tell us, Shelley, why should someone be our next guest on the Association Advisor podcast? (laughs) Glad you asked, Katie. You, our listener, should be our next podcast guest because we reach hundreds of association professionals every month with engaging topics and lively conversation. We want to help you share your ideas with the association community. And 
I think we're a lot of fun. So if you want to be a guest on our podcast, email me at kclark at nailer.com. That's K-C-L-A-R-K at nailer.com. We would love to host you. Now, your turn, Katie. You have until the 10th floor to tell us about our sponsor and about our next episode. Okay. Nailer Association Solutions is devoted to building stronger associations through products and services that engage members and increase non-dues revenue. Learn how Nailer can strengthen your association at nailer.com. And while I can't reveal who's appearing on our very next episode, I will say that it will delve into a topic that's been as important and life-saving as the masks we've been wearing for going on a year now. That's a good teaser. You hooked me. I'm definitely going to tune in. Thank you for listening. And thank you once more to Tom Morrison and Dave Will for being our guests this episode. Until next time.